It is the 200 level episode 113, Mike Carpenter from the basement on a Monday afternoon. And about a mile and a half, two miles away from me right now is a protest heading north on 1st Street to the Champaign Police Department with Illini athletes and coaches, the athletic director. This is the second time, at least, that we have seen the athletic director, Josh Whitman, and Illini coaches, including Brad Underwood, march for Black Lives Matter, the first one being back in early June. And this one was actually spearheaded by Kendrick Green, and it came together very quickly. It seemed on Sunday evening on Twitter, that was the first word that anyone really got of it. It spread very quickly, uh, at least through all the athletes on campus. I know there are more than just athletes that are taking part in this, including just students, but it's impressive to see something like that materialize so quickly and also to see the DIA be as supportive as they are. And they were in support of this march, not just because some of the guys are walking it, but also the fact that they were retweeting information about it from the football account to the Illinois Athletics account. That is a sign that, you know what, there is solidarity here. And you cannot say the same for every college athletic department. I do want to start before we get into the formalities a review that we had gotten a week or two ago saying that we were honest and that we criticized the DIA when they needed to be criticized. And I appreciate that because we do try to do that. We try to hold people accountable if they don't do their job or if they are not being entirely truthful about something. And the DIA, for the most part, there's good people over there doing their jobs and doing it as well as they can. But there have been reasons to criticize them in the past. This, though, is something where I need to heap praise on them, which I know if you've been listening to the show the last few months, that probably comes as no surprise that I'm praising them for supporting a Black Lives Matter march. But it is more to the point that in college athletics right now, the current climate, yes, we do see examples of coaches, sometimes athletic directors coming out in solidarity with the Black Lives Matter movement coming out and saying it because they understand that a lot of their athletes are African-American and that to not say something would probably reflect poorly on them. We could be cynical about it and say that for a lot of these athletic directors, it is merely a move to save face and a move where they understand that most of their constituents, shall we call them, the student athletes, are supportive of this movement or are actively engaged in it. But when I see Josh Whitman for the second time actually march in one of these things, same with Brad Underwood and other coaches, and then Lovey Smith taking part in this today, which I think the uh, symbolism and the optics behind that are huge for the first African-American head coach to coach in a Super Bowl, along with Tony Dungy. They did it the same year. There's some historical significance to that, and I don't want to downplay it. I don't want to get too hyperbolic either, of course, but at the end of the day, what's going on as I record this is something pretty cool and something that I'm not shocked by because we've seen the DIA come out vocally and support Black Lives Matter. You even see it at the State Farm Center Jumbotron thing. They're in the corner of First and Kirby. You'll see I-L-L-B-L-M. I know that doesn't sit well with everybody in town, and I know it doesn't sit well with some of the Illini fans that maybe you'll run into on Twitter or on Facebook. But at the end of the day, I appreciate the fact that this DIA, with all the financial considerations involved and donors, that, hey, you know what, I I can't say for certain how many donors are in support of Black Lives Matter or are against it. That would be purely speculative. But I wouldn't be surprised if there were a few that were pretty leery of Black Lives Matter. So this is an instance where you do see Josh Whitman and an entire athletic department put their weight behind something that could have some blowback and financial blowback specifically. And that is kudos to them. We can, again, talk about if it's 
kind of coming from a cynical place where they feel like they just need to make sure that they stay cool with the student athletes. But at the end of the day, the action is what matters. And they're getting out there and marching with their students today. And that means something. So I, I wanted to start off with that because if this is going to be a podcast that tells it like it is or whatever you want to say, then I need to make sure that I don't just go after something without giving it praise when it's due. And in the case of the DIA, praise is due for how they're reacting to this. Before we get into what is a packed show, and you know what, they're all packed shows nowadays because these are packed days and packed weeks. The sports angle, the social, the racial angle, I mean, all these things are really kind of coalescing into the craziest sports year. And it's kind of crazy to say, considering this year, there's been an absence of live sports for much of it. But think about it. There has not been a sports year quite as nuts as this one. And that is on a variety of levels. So yes, as always, we got plenty to get to. Before we do, a reminder, the 200 level is brought to you by DPDO. Online at dpdo.com for all the best deals and prices, dpdo.com. Custom zones with any topping you want. Some of their favorites, the buffer zone, the Maui Wowie. You get dipping sauce alongside, and here's the best part. They deliver anywhere in Champaign-Urbana. So yes, campus is packed. The students are here. If you just want to stay home and you don't want to mess with campus, they will bring it to you anywhere in Champaign-Urbana. Piping hot calzone, delicious, and some of the best value bang for your buck food in Champaign-Urbana, dpdo.com. Also, 4th and Kirby online at 4 com. Great new designs, and you can use coupon code 200LEVEL or the 200LEVEL to get any of these designs at 10% off. There was one a couple weeks ago, new football design, and yeah, I, I know we don't really know when football will be played, apparently January now, but you know what? We all want it so bad that sometimes I find myself wearing a lot of football stuff, even if there's not a game to be played. Go to fourthandkirby.com to check out this new design, along with a volleyball design, their first, first ever volleyball design, and all their other vintage-inspired Illini apparel. That's at fourthandkirby.com. Coupon code 200level at fourthandkirby.com. And finally, State Farm agent Brian Hansen online at brianismyguy.com. Trevor's favorite domain name, and for good reason, it's easy to remember. And the thing with Brian and the staff over there, you can trust them. And when it comes to insurance... There are a few things, let's say banking, finance, insurance, where you want to know that the people on the other end have your best interest at heart, and they do. And not only that, they're local products from Champaign-Urbana, so they have your local interest at heart as well. Brian Hansen, State Farm agent, online at brianismyguy.com. Alana Inquirer, Champagne Showers Podcast Network, partners with the 200 level as we are now on episode 113, continuing to chug our way to 136, which would be 100 episodes since the relaunch. I know we already hit that 100-episode milestone about a month and a half ago, but man, we're cruising. We got two episodes a week. School has started, getting into the groove, and finding time to come down here in the mid to late afternoons to get these out twice a week. I know they've been solo format recently, and that's just because uh, in trying to coordinate interviews right now is a little bit difficult with my own schedule being a little bit up in the air and figuring out what school is going to look like in this remote setting. As I get into it, though, we will begin to bring people back into the fold. I hope that the soapbox that I've probably been on for the last, well, not just a month, but probably a few months, is not too unbearable. I know that occasionally we do get reviews that are saying, you know what, Carp, you just, you just need to pipe down a little bit. There was one that I did find particularly funny. This came uh, sometime last week. I, I subscribed to this service that lets us know how we're doing in terms of hits where we rank in terms of like basketball podcasts, football podcasts, that sort of thing. And we get these notifications whenever there's a new rating and review. And most of these come from Apple. 
So Apple Podcasts, which by the way, if you want to rate or review us, that's a huge help to us because someone types in a line eye, they find us that much quicker because of all the ratings and reviews. But this one was particularly, well, I'll read it to you, you decide. This one is from DP Illini. You got to love the anonymity too with these reviews. And by the way, as Harry and I had talked about back in the fall, I think, there is no in between. I think I've seen one three-star review, but a bunch of one and a bunch of five stars. So we kind of run the gamut here. It's a wide spectrum. And this says, I'm done. That's the name of the review. I'm done. Stay home, order food in, and stay off your podcast until you can live in this world. I'll tune back when sports start and you're able to get back to some entertaining content. Well, thank you, DP Illini. First off, usually the people that say I'm done are either A, not actually done. So DP Illini, even if he's hate listening, may come back to this podcast. And you know what? I welcome everybody, including DP Illini, who decided to remain anonymous when he wrote this. Or secondly, they weren't even on board in the first place. But the whole thing is an interesting case study. I mean, there's some psychology behind the person that would either text into a radio show, and we ran into that plenty on 93.5, or someone that would go to the trouble of writing a one-star review like that. But I understand why. I understand why. This is not your typical sports podcast. Not that it was to begin with, but it was much more sportsy, for lack of a better term, where we'd come down here, we'd do the post game, we would talk about what was coming up next, and all of its ramifications in the standings and tournament hopes, all that sort of thing, right? Very much a traditional sports podcast, even if we took a few different angles to it. But as I mentioned before, in this year, where there has been the absence of live sports, we've found other areas, and I guess you could say a niche almost, that this podcast can fit into, that in the Illini market, at least, I don't think there's much else out there talking consistently about what we're talking about. And what, I don't want to use the word validation, but when I see the student athletes themselves, or professional athletes for that matter, getting as involved as they have been, well, to not talk about it would be, I think, disingenuous. So that's what we're doing here. DP Illini probably doesn't like that. There was probably something I said that really pissed him off. Though I try, and this is one key point, I try to keep a big tent. What I mean by that is I don't want to say things and I don't want to give the indication that I would cut off conversation merely because I don't agree with somebody. Now, the nature of a solo podcast is that I'm just kind of talking out loud, stream of consciousness. And if I had someone else in the other end right now, like an interview podcast, I hope that there would be a fruitful conversation and that if we disagreed, we would find some areas of mutual understanding, that sort of thing. But by its nature, when a podcast is a solo kind of thing, as it has been for much of the past few months, this is going to be a monologue. It's going to be an opinion column. And I, you know, I'll try to balance that with evidence and stats and, and facts and figures that will support whatever claim I'm trying to make. But at the end of the day, there is certainly a point of view that I have. But please don't misconstrue that. That fanboy carp is some sort of crazy leftist um, <laughs> Antifa member, whatever, whatever you want to throw out there, who will shut down conversation with anyone that doesn't agree with them. I think back actually to 93.5, for example, and conversations that I would have with Austin Berkland, who is very vocally a conservative individual. And family and friends that I know that are also conservative individuals where I'm happy to have the conversation. So yes, have I had a lot of contrasting views on the show? Not when it comes to maybe the political realm. Have I tried to get different perspectives on the show with interviews I've had this summer? Absolutely. If you are offended though, or maybe not offended is the right word, but if you are uncomfortable for whatever reason that we started branching into these different areas, I can't really help you there, right? 
we got to try new things. We got to talk to people that we haven't before. And if that means that I should probably work harder to bring in opposing views, there may be a point to that. But DP Alani or any of the myriad of one-star reviews we've gotten in the last few months, I've noticed they've picked up since the content changed. Again, not shocking or anything, but I, I also hope that even in these one-star reviews, they understand that if we were to talk in person or even via email, actually have a conversation, and you remove the anonymity too, because the anonymity part makes it difficult to have a conversation in good faith, that we could get something done. I call me an optimist at heart. I know that maybe it sounds like I'm a total nihilistic or you know pessimistic, whichever term you want to throw on there. But when it comes to conversation with others, even those that are not like-minded, let's say, I'm pretty optimistic that I could find some areas of mutual understanding. So that's a long-winded way of saying, keep that feedback coming. Because <laughs> again, I don't need to agree with you and vice versa. You don't need to agree with me, certainly. But I will always try to give you well-reasoned and thought-out arguments as to why I think or why I feel the way that I do. All right, so it's a big day for Illini Athletics. And as I speak, they are getting closer to the Champaign Police Station. The protest is in the hundreds, and this is based on coverage from Joey Wagner, from Gavin Good, from Gabby Hadjik. I, I hope I get that name correct, the uh, sports editor at the Daily Illini. The News Gazette is on the scene. And it is an impressive showing. It is a Monday afternoon. And I know that the athletes, you know, they probably cast a pretty wide net. So when Kendrick Green decided to get this thing going and put it on Twitter last night, it's no surprise that it was able to saturate itself pretty quickly among other athletes and maybe the student body at large. What I have been impressed with, and this is going outside of Champaign-Urbana, is the growing empowerment that athletes are finding in the way that they can speak on these issues. And the key point that I keep hammering home, and probably the point of redundancy, is that, of course, many of these athletes are black. So when we have the conversation about Black Lives Matter, and when we have this racial conversation, it is only natural, I think, that athletics has a say in this. And the thing that I've always kind of had a hard time reconciling is watching these guys on the quarter field and certainly enjoying the entertainment value. We don't need to apologize for the fact that we do get entertainment and enjoyment out of watching great athletes do what they do. And I've even said it before many times on 93.5, many times on this show. I have a pet peeve where you know ESPN or whatever station it is, they'll show the parents, let's say Tyler Hainsborough's parents, right? And, and they'll try to give the backstory of that family. And I will even say to myself or whoever I'm watching the game with, I don't need the background story of this kid. I'm here to watch the game. Now, usually that's when they're talking about an opponent's player and their family. I know it's a total fanboy, you know, meatball kind of thing on my part to get pissed off or annoyed by that. But sometimes I do, right? I say all that. And I'm going to be careful about that going forward in the future because that was an example of me dehumanizing athletes, black or white. It didn't necessarily matter when I did it. Because again, the Tyler Hainsborough example, white family, right? But I would watch the games and say out loud, I am here to be entertained. I don't need a feel-good story. I don't need to know the athletes. That was reductive on my part, just as a human, that, well, I'm just here to be entertained. And then however they're thinking or feeling, that really doesn't matter to me. Well, it should matter to me a little bit, right? or maybe a lot a bit. And I'm thinking as I watch this march go down First Street or thinking how different campuses are handling this, even some in the South, like an Ole Miss, uh, Kentucky, basketball, 
which these are really difficult places to probably broach that conversation, far more difficult than Champaign-Urbana, by contrast, but that they're happening in the first place and that these college athletes are feeling empowered to do so. I am concerned that the We Want to Play movement and all these different things, you know, the, the tentacles are wide-reaching, and I don't know how consistent the message may be. And I don't know if 18 to 22-year-olds, in the absence of getting a really strong leader or leadership in general to kind of spearhead this movement uh, towards unionization, mobilization, all that sort of thing, I don't know how successful it ultimately will be. And likewise, when we see athletic directors and coaches participate or at least say that they support their players in this, when push comes to shove and we get closer and closer to athletes, college athletes, I should say, getting compensated the way they should, well, is there going to be that pushback? Are they going to have as much support? I don't know all that. Professional athletes, that seems pretty steady, right? We know that the NBA, they spoke out before. They're going to continue to speak out about racial issues even more so, and they're going to act. But they're professional athletes, so there isn't quite as much of an ethical, moral dilemma as there is with collegiate athletes. But that all takes me back to this point about Josh Whitman and Brad Underwood and Lovey Smith making an appearance today, which is just gigantic, I think. And all the student athletes, even some of whom politically are not, at least politically, the kind of people you think would be marching for a Black Lives Matter protest. Luke Ford, he's been pretty vocal about that. Josh Matterbebe, he's been pretty vocal about these sorts of things. And yet they're both there today. And even if that's just in support of their teammates, that's sort of the point, I think, of this Black Lives Matter movement is just simply listening, offering support and saying, hey, listen, I'm here to learn. I don't know everything. I'm here to learn. Tell me about your experience, because that is really the message that's going on here. We have seen, understandably, an attempt to diminish Black Lives Matter, which I think now has entered the lexicon far more than the, let's call it, fringe organization that it might have been five years ago. It's mainstream now. And with that, you've seen people refer to it as a Marxist organization. Are there people in leadership positions of Black Lives Matter that have talked about Marxism? Yes. Is there one person in particular that actually is a self-proclaimed Marxist? Yes. But I think that ultimately diminishes what this thing has become, which is far bigger than a political movement. It's much more than that. Political to social means that now we're getting outside the realm of just right versus left, partisan sort of stuff. This is now something that is far larger, which is please listen to my story. Please listen to our story, that being uh, black Americans and what they've had to deal with. And to just simply brush it off as that's a neo-Marxist organization, which if you want to see that, go to the News Gazette comment section. You'll see that every day right on cue. It's neo-Marxist, whatever that is. But I digress. That is really doing a disservice to what's going on here. So it's really heartening to see these younger people, these college athletes, that even if they are politically different from one another, they understand that there is something to be gained here. And I don't think, and this may be the optimist in me, okay? I don't think there are a ton of people in any of these marches that are doing so out of peer pressure, or I should say primarily because of peer pressure. There is no doubt that some people, some athletes, may not be politically aligned with others that organize these events, but feel like, man, if I don't show up, my teammates are going to hate me. I, I totally understand that. But is it the primary motivating factor to going to these things? I don't think so. And another point in this, to see the average age, the median age of people that are either organizing these marches or actually taking part in it. I'm 33 and I would feel old at these things. That's impressive. 
not the first time in history where we've seen movements kind of spearheaded by younger people, but nonetheless encouraging. And you hope that they don't lose that fire in their belly, that they actually continue to fight because goodness knows there have been so many times, not just in American history, but just history in general, where movements have begun only to fizzle out over time. And that, of course, is going to be tied into the way the election goes in November. If Biden were to win, do things get a little bit sleepy or stagnant? That could certainly happen. But the way it has progressed in this summer and knowing that there are going to be these moments, these stories like George Floyd, like Breonna Taylor, and now Jacob Blake, that are going to continue to reignite the conversation, it's not going anywhere, I don't think. And when I will talk to people of my parents' generation, for example, and they say it is different, the ones that do remember when they were teenagers in 68 and all the protest and civil unrest that was going on then, and they say this is different. There was a different tenor to it. I, I know that COVID-19 probably had some sort of an impact. The fact that we were cooped up for as long as we were, and it was a powder keg already, led to what we saw in late May and early June. But now you're seeing that resurgence and maybe more of a focused resurgence. So when I see individuals like Kendrick Green, who have been uh, great leaders for that football program and now are becoming community leaders, you know, if we talk about what you want from a college or university, it's to shape the young men and women into being the next leaders of our communities, of our states, of our nation. And this is one example of many that we've seen over the last few months where the young people are really taking charge. So color me optimistic. I see the same thing in my sixth graders. And we don't talk about politics because they're young enough where they shouldn't have to worry about that crap. <laughs> but, you know, they know enough. They can sense it. And I think they're smarter than we give them credit for sometimes. That's sixth graders. So we're now we're talking about college kids. I, I think that it's important that this athletic department has a culture where Kendrick Green felt comfortable enough to organize this thing talk to his coaches, and talk to the athletic director. And in doing so, probably assumed that he was going to get the okay or get support from them. Maybe not that they were going to show up and march with him, but that Kendrick felt comfortable enough to do that in the first place. That speaks volumes about the culture over there at this athletic department. Would it have been the same under Mike Thomas? I don't know. Or Ron Gunther? Hard to say. That would be total speculation, but it is a situation where Josh Whitman has given enough indication through his words and now his actions that he is an athletic director that at least has a degree of empathy for the student-athlete experience and also a degree of empathy for his black student-athletes. That is something that you won't find at every school. And you could go to the South. I know we could easily do that game, and that may be unfair, actually, because this is something that you would find probably just as easily in the Midwest or out East. Athletic directors, they're a little bit uncomfortable with the situation. So it does start at the top. It starts at the top with Josh Whitman having an athletic program where this felt, I don't know about safe, but it felt like Kendrick Green would be supported because that's a pretty scary position to be in, to think that, man, I got an idea, but I don't know if the boss is going to be okay with it. And that would be enough for a lot of people to say, you know what, I'm just going to hold off on that. But no, it's one thing for Kendrick to have his conscience affected by this, but it's another for him to take that step and say, I will act and I'll get the full support of the DIA behind me impressive for the coaches to be there. Cynically, we could say that this is a move to reduce blowback amongst their own players or to not hurt them on the recruiting trail, that if they didn't show up, it would be a blemish on them somehow. But I don't want to go that angle with this. I, I, I understand the inclination 
to question that. And I think it's okay to question, but also sometimes it's okay to say, you know what, I'm actually going to believe the best in people here and that they do have pure intentions behind this. And I do think that, certainly with the athletic director, but now with the coaches in Brad Underwood and now Lovey Smith, which we saw that back in June. I think it was early June when Lovey spoke on Mike Tirico's show. He's experienced this himself. Black guy growing up in Texas. I think he knows a thing or two about this. And he sees his own young players, I think, what, 40 years younger than he is, going through a lot of the same stuff that he dealt with when he was younger and probably thinks, as many older black men and women probably do, yes, there's been progress, but damn, this is still going on? Really? And that probably just increases that sense of urgency that they need to act along with the younger people. So all in all, to see this happen here in town, to see this happen at my alma mater, the place right now that is doing better than any university in the world and testing their students and might actually pull off the semester, we will see, but might actually pull it off. And then you couple that with what the athletic program is doing, A plus all around in what is an absolutely tumultuous time period for athletic departments and universities to try to operate. And I see the University of Illinois, for the most part, handling it better than most anybody else. Reason to be proud if you're an alum. Now, not everyone's proud because they feel, whether it be from a university level or an athletic department level, that you need to leave certain things alone. You need to leave social issues alone, political issues alone. And there was something that I was thinking about last night when all this Stuff was coming on Twitter about the protest today, and I maybe shouldn't have went there. It was maybe against my better judgment to actually tweet this out, but I couldn't help but think of a few individuals in local media that are probably not going to give this march the coverage it may deserve because their own biases are coming in. Now, talk about biases. Of course, I'm biased towards the march and towards student athletes or really anybody for that matter expressing their beliefs in a peaceful protest. I'm on board for that basically no matter what it is. And that's why I tried not to go (laughs) too far and make fun of not many parents showing up in Rosemont for that Big Ten parent protest. Because at the end of the day, they believed in it. I think that there are certain issues with their general argument. But you know what? They believed in it. They traveled there. And they think that was in the best interest of their kids. And it was peaceful. So what am I going to do? Give them that much crap for it? If it's something they believe in and they acted on it, I think it'd be almost un-American to use a very big term, almost un-American to make fun of them, even if I think the premise is kind of silly. But I was specifically thinking about Doug Bouchon and some context here. He is the publisher at Illinois Rivals and has been so for a long time. So he's been covering Illini sports for, I mean, probably maybe 2000, even before then. I mean, it might be 20 plus years that he's been on the beat. So accomplished writer, uh, accomplished publisher recruiting guru, all that kind of stuff. He he knows his stuff. There's no doubt about that. We used to have him on 93.5 quite a bit, but there was uh, always a little bit of a an edge between me and him. And I think there's no doubt that over the years, my tweets have probably indicated to many where I fall in terms of my belief system and perspective and all that. Long story short, uh, you could ask many an Illini media person that has had interactions with them. They are often uncomfortable when it comes to political issues because you will find that if you are to start a conversation with him about things like that, that more often than not, you're probably going to get blocked pretty quick. So the conversation would end before you get going, but that often these conversations are in bad faith to begin with. Case in point, 
back in 2015, there was the Kentucky, I forget what her name was, but she was the one who wouldn't give out marriage licenses to gay couples in Kentucky. And I had made an off-color joke about not only was her personality ugly, but you know sometimes that trickles up to their actual appearance, basically calling this woman ugly. Now, was that my best tweet? No, it wasn't. But do I feel bad, given the rather hateful rhetoric that she was spewing about marriage? Do I feel bad for saying that? Not necessarily. Um, was it tactful? No. Was this something I regret? No. But this was something where immediately uh, Doug jumps on that and says, you know, this guy's dangerous for 93.5. He shouldn't be employed there. Which that kind of takes it another level where it goes from me making an off-color tweet that may be inappropriate in some form. And then all of a sudden someone that, yes, disagrees with me, but instead of having a good faith conversation jumps immediately to, you know, somebody please think of the children. This guy needs to be fired because he's going to say something ridiculous. And uh, ever since that moment, there was not really a relationship with me and Doug. And not that there was much of one before that anyway. This led, though, to an appearance in 2018, I think, on Tay and Carp, where I don't know how the booking happened, but he came on the show, and I was looking for the particulars to make sure that I got everything right, the website, the uh, Twitter handle, and all that. And as I go there, we're mid-interview, and I'm about to do one of those middle cut-throughs where I'm like, okay, Doug Bouchon, Illinois Rivals, follow him on Twitter, yada, yada, yada. I see that I'm blocked on Twitter, and I'm thinking, well, this is a little bit bad faith that you would do that. And we'll get to the blocking on Twitter thing in a second. That you would do that, and yet you would come on my show and essentially promote your wares to our listeners. And I called them out. I said, you know, Doug, I'd love to give the information about your website, but unfortunately, I I can't see your Twitter profile because you seem to have blocked me. That, of course, led to a very awkward last few minutes of the interview and uh long story short which i know i've said that a few times this episode already but you know there are enough stories with people where those interactions have not always been i mentioned in good faith and what i mean by that are conversations that are on the level that are actual debates about issues as opposed to escalating immediately to the personal so last night again perhaps against my better judgment i was thinking about certain media outlets that may not cover this now the news gazette we've talked about this has actually done a great job in the sports department, especially of covering these issues and letting athletes speak. Bob Osmussen has been great on it. And now we're seeing the News Gazette as a whole really doing a fine job of covering this area and how this area is reacting to these racial and social discussions. Alani Inquirer, between articles that Jeremy's written, Gavin especially has done a great job on this beat and he's covering this protest today. When you look at Channel 3 that gets out there with Marley or with Brett, You know, across the board, local coverage has been very strong of not just the local reaction to this, but really the larger sports landscape. And they haven't avoided it for the most part. But I immediately got to thinking about that, where we are talking about a website that has made their money and built a subscriber base off of evaluating 16, 17, 18-year-old athletes, many of whom are black, and may go radio silent Is it speculation on my part? It is. But the thing is, I probably couldn't tell you if they're covering it anyways because I'm blocked. (laughs) So maybe Doug's doing a great job of it, or maybe he sent somebody else. But the long story short is this. I find the hypocrisy there, and it's not just a problem with him, but I find the hypocrisy in any media member that would not be taking this thing seriously and not wanting to cover it because their own discomfort with the issues, whatever it may be, That hypocrisy is something I just cannot abide by, where I'm thinking you cannot in good conscience 
make a living or at least make money off of the coverage of young black athletes. And then the minute they speak out, you're thinking, uh, I don't know about that. I, I, ooh, ooh, I, I don't think I can do that. See, it's just cowardice. So for all I know, they may do a bang up job. There may be someone on the beat right now doing that. And I understand if this is maybe jumping ahead of the game here and reacting too quickly, but that is symptomatic, unfortunately, of sports media coverage, not just in Champaign-Urbana, but on a national level where there is this old guard that for whatever reason is very reluctant not to, it's not about embracing Black Lives Matter. I think this is where it gets misconstrued. It's not about embracing everything about Black Lives Matter and going down the list of uh, the demands on Black Lives Matter website and saying, you know what? I 100% agree with this. It's not about that at all. This is simply about the three words first, Black Lives Matter, and understanding that in context of what's going on, which when you start with that, that is not controversial. And then allowing the conversation to be had. I think that is the least that you can do is facilitate the conversation if you have the means to do so, whether that be a website or a radio show or a podcast, whatever medium it may be. If you are not facilitating or at least taking part in that conversation, what are you doing? And in Champaign-Urbana, man, it's, it's such an interesting town. I wouldn't want to live anywhere. Well, no, I think that's true. I wouldn't want to live anywhere else. Family, friends, all that, the history I have here. This is a great community. And one great part of it is that diversity of thought. Because yes, we have the progressive U of I, college town sort of thing, but we also have a town that is small enough where there is still an entrenched conservative value system that is not a bad thing necessarily. Like there are things that we can work with together here, but when a conversation is essentially muted by a not unsubstantial portion of the population, then it's difficult to really meld those things. I I understand the counter argument to that would be that people that are in support of Black Lives Matter or liberal people in general are not open to having those conversations. That may be true based on one's experiences on Twitter or things like that, where they feel like they can't say anything lest they be uh, you know, attacked for being racist or this or that. If I had a history of doing that with others on Twitter or on the air or on podcasts, I get that. But that's where I, I couldn't help but think, wait a second, you know. In this conversation that's about to be had yet again right here in town with hundreds of student athletes and U of I students and coaches and the athletic director, how is the local sports media going to cover it? And I knew how most were, but I could not help but gravitate towards a few thinking, what are they going to do about this? Something to watch for. Am I calling for a boycott on any of them? No, no. You should be able to consume whatever you want to. You should be able to disagree with whatever you want to. But it is merely not engaging in the conversation. That's my issue. Not agreeing or disagreeing with it and saying this is the 100% right way that it has to be. If that's what it sounded like over the last few months, that I'm saying you must agree with this, then that is probably poor communication on my part. It is not about that. It is simply about opening your ears, seeing what happens. And giving that column space or giving that airtime to thoughts that, as a white guy, just from experience, I can't necessarily relate to. And I can't bring over the air and say, hey, you know, I remember back when I was 17 and I got pulled over. Well, I did, but that's because I was speeding down the road like an idiot. Not because I was white. (laughs) So I don't really have 
any of those stories that I could offer that provide context for any sort of discrimination I've faced. I haven't faced one iota of it. It's a pretty sweet gig being a white guy. Can we be real? It's pretty sweet in America to be a white male, 33. I mean, even growing up, there were things I never had to worry about. It's hunky-dory. It's Pleasantville. And I think at the end of the day, it's just a little dose of humility and not feeling scared or feeling threatened for whatever reason that there are people that have had different experiences than that. I just caught a bit of Kendall Smith talking. He's with the Illinois football team, and he spoke at this protest. Gavin Good had a video of it, and I would recommend you follow Gavin on Twitter, which has a bunch of videos from people speaking at the police department, because that's where they're at right now and doing more of the demonstration part of it before they march back down First Street. And he was talking about how for decades there has been plenty of protests where it's been mostly black people in the streets, but as he looks out in the crowd today, he sees more than that, and that it's appreciated, and that... Black people can protest until they're blue in the face, but real change isn't going to happen until there's more of a a groundswell with non-black people, with white people actually getting out there and doing something about it. So as you pour over videos and photos of that protest today, check that out because it would be interesting to kind of break down the demographics. And I'm seeing, you know, the old term, what, melting pot or salad bowl, whatever term you want to use for how America is this great experiment with all these different kinds of people, white, black, brown. And that's essentially what you see today. And Kendall Smith spoke to that. So again, Gavin Good, follow him on Twitter. He's got a bunch of great videos and photos and coverage of this whole thing. And he's with the Lana Inquirer. There's been a lot of other sports news. I know that was a lot on what was happening here in Champaign today. And I guess the overall kind of conversation that we've been having plenty of, but with football and Big Ten, and the commissioners and the presidents, there was news that just came down the wire about a half hour ago that it was an 11 to 3 vote in the Big Ten, 11 to 3. And in this 11 to 3 vote, we can probably guess the three. Iowa, right? Nebraska, I would think. What would the other one be? Penn State? Uh, oh, no, Ohio State. What am I talking about? So let's assume, based on the way athletic directors have talked and, and how some of these parent letters have had a few more People sign on with it. Iowa, Nebraska, Ohio State. Go figure. So that is my guess. I don't know if we're going to get confirmation on that or not, but deductive reasoning, just kind of like when you take an ACT or SAT, process of elimination. Oh, those are the three right there. And as we look towards a potential January season, and that is what it appears to be going towards. It was on the Dan Patrick show this morning, I believe, talking about January looking like the likely start if there is a Big Ten football season. And I, of course, Understand, not agree, but understand why there was such an outcry after Kevin Warren. Yes, he bungled the announcement, but at the end of the day, the announcement was not unexpected. And we're starting to see Iowa, for example, shut down their athletics for a good week or so because of a ton of positive tests. We're looking at Iowa State, Ames and Iowa City, by the way, one and three, respectively, largest outbreak centers in the world. Iowa State University, number one, University of Iowa, number three. Pretty sure that University of Iowa has a pretty good medical school. Not sure what's going on there. And yet we actually thought this thing was going to happen. We have different colleges. I think Lincoln Riley was talking about one position group essentially being wiped out from COVID-19. Yeah, we had a game with Austin P and Central Arkansas. But you talk about a bastardized football season. 
we can poke fun at the Big Ten for how much they bungled the announcement, and we can look at Kevin Warren and say, dude, probably not the best leadership, and you wouldn't be incorrect in saying so. But to think that this season, if it would have started on time, would have not become a bungled mess based on an outbreak here and an outbreak there, hell, even at the U of I. I know the positivity rate is low, but cases have went up nearly 500 new cases since students came back. That's not insignificant. Maybe not an outbreak. They might have figured out earlier than other schools who has it so they can isolate, quarantine, all that. Hopefully it works. And then you look at Iowa shutting down athletics. Well, they would have had a game coming up in a week, September 5th, I'm pretty sure. How does that work? Would they have been able to feel a, a full roster? And I know those concerns could still be there in January, right? They could totally still be there. But isn't the Big Ten going to look pretty smart if we get to January? Saliva testing is rampant, at least for t- sports teams, right? Rampant enough where you can test every single day for every single college football program. And the Big Ten sets up shop in Minneapolis, Indianapolis, Detroit, Dome stadiums, maybe northern Iowa, I think was a destination thrown out there. And they have an eight-game season while we look back into September and October and see the SEC where Alabama missed two games because of an outbreak, which Alabama, that campus is roughshod right now with COVID-19. And the Big 12, oh dear, look at Oklahoma. They had to forfeit two games or move them until December 15th where they didn't even play because their opponent then had a COVID-19 outbreak. What I'm saying is this. There would have been uncertainty no matter what. There could still be uncertainty in January. They probably should have planned better in the first place. And that goes not just for the Big Ten, but every single conference. And it would be nice, too, if the NCAA actually had leadership for football. Because it seems with basketball, they got, what, Dan Gabbett? He's figuring things out. They're going to do the bubble thing. Where I think battle and the bubble, that was a trademark term today by the NCAA. So it looks like we are heading towards a battle in the bubble, wherever that bubble may be. Or maybe there's multiple bubbles. Going to be a lot of bubble boys. I like saying bubble. It's a fun word to say. But with football, thinking about how, yes, they might have screwed it up in the first place, but who ultimately is going to get it right? And that is going to be something that we only learn with the passage of time and as we sit a couple years down the road and look back on this season. Whether the Big Ten plays in January and all the other conferences played in September and October, all that stuff, we need to wait and see how it plays out to really make that judgment. Uncertainty, yep, it would have been there. Is the Big Ten maybe going to be able to get this thing off the ground, running, and do it in a smooth fashion in January? Maybe. You know, I have a friend who's a big Ohio State fan, and from their perspective, it's a lot different than Illinois. We sit here and we think, well, we got a decent roster, and I guess they'd compete, but You know, we only have a few guys that will likely go pro. And meanwhile, you look at Ohio State and there are a bunch. So would their roster be negatively impacted by pushing the season that late? Big time. Certainly much more than Illinois. That would actually be advantageous for a team like Illinois as opposed to the Ohio States or the Michigans or even maybe the Wisconsins of the world. These programs where there are that many more guys that are looking out for their professional futures. And they say, you know what? I can't risk it. Not in January and February when I got a combine in April. So yeah, it could be advantageous for certain teams and disadvantageous, if that's a word, for others. But ultimately, we would have gotten into the season. Iowa likely would have had to have postponed their first game. You move that to when? The end of November, December 5th. How late are we pushing these games? Because unlike baseball, where they can say, ah, we're going to postpone that series, 
we'll have those two teams meet next weekend and they'll play a doubleheader and then a single game on Sunday, whatever it may be. Baseball, that's bad enough. And they can actually make these games up. Football, that probably wasn't going to happen. So you are not going to get a representative year. You are not going to get necessarily the best team winning the championship, if there's a championship at all. And I understand that we won our football. I can't wait for the Bears to play. I think the NFL might actually get this done because they've gone through an entire training camp with, I think, zero positive cases, which is insane. Considering it's football and all the guys that are there, that means that those dudes are doing what they need to do in whatever bubbles they have to keep from getting it. That shocked me. But you bet your ass I'm excited for when the Bears and Lions play on, what is that, September 13th? I need to look up the date. But whenever they do play, I'm going to be ready with bells on. Got my wooden hog barbecue. Got my spicy biscuit of a captain diet with the TV on the porch and spend the entire day watching football. I wanted to do that on Saturdays. We all did. But this notion that the Big Ten got it so wrong while everyone else is getting it so right, that was jumping the gun. And I think was very much informed by just a simple desire to watch football above all else. You know, facts, pandemic be damned. I want my football. Well, we all do. Trust me. But this may actually work out. Wouldn't that be something? And uh, no, me and other sports media types, we were not wishing for the football season to be gone. (laughs) But you can bet I'd be happy to watch football at any time later this year or early next year. If that's what it is, You know, that would make my January, February a lot more entertaining. Back to the back in the bubble or battle of the bubble, I think is what it's trademarked as. And feeling more and more confident that we're going to get college basketball. And that in the midst of the reality that we're living in right now, we need those things to look forward to. And I think we're going to get that with basketball, which is for Illini fans, huge. Where if you tell me I got to sacrifice, and I know this is not a decision that we have to make necessarily, but if you tell me we're sacrificing one college football season for this basketball season, I'm taking it. And I've made this point before, and I'm really going to stick to this and repeat it and beat it to death. So I might, in fact, sound smart way down the road. We'll find out, right? But if you think to last year and the strength of that Illini team, it was on the road. And it actually might have benefited them in a neutral site. Well, think about this, right? That team was not any better at State Farm Center than they were at Bryce Jordan Center in Penn State or Cole Center in Wisconsin. In fact, often they were tight at home. They were not nearly as good. And you'd be sweating it out late in the second half. Well, what about this? Illinois basketball in this roster may be best suited of any Big Ten team in a neutral site. And maybe, just maybe, better than any team in the nation in a neutral site. So if you want to put any money down in Vegas for a team to win the national title, which I think the odds are okay for Illinois, but you might want to get in early because this will be a consensus top 10 team when the season starts. And that leads me to, I guess, the final point. Will we be getting back to sports talk? Will we be getting off the social stuff? Yeah, of course. Illini basketball can't come soon enough. Trust me on this. But in the meantime, as these things pop up, especially locally like it did today, we got to talk about that, right? It's important. It's important. And listen, if you're still listening to the podcast, which thankfully most of you are judging by the numbers, you're okay with that. And I do hope, as I mentioned earlier, that if you feel ever like the conversations I'm having here on the show are not allowing for a dissenting opinion or something like that, please don't misunderstand me. That is not the case. Do I feel strongly about certain things? Yes. But do I enjoy a conversation? And I guess Twitter is one medium to do that or any sort of feedback, uh, ratings, reviews, whatever. 
I'm happy to have that conversation. It's when the other party just comes out and says something like, I'm done. Well, you were probably done in the first place. You probably weren't on board anyway. And that's okay. This is certainly not going to be a podcast for everybody. But I hope that despite the strong views that I may have on certain things, that that is not to be mistaken for, oh, well, Fanboy Carp is a one-track mind and he only thinks this way and he is shutting out all other ideas. Not at all the case. Not at all the case. And there are hundreds, thousands of hours back to 93.5 through all the 200 level where I hope that is the case. Can I be bullheaded? Oh, you bet your ass. I can be a stubborn, bullheaded man. Try not to be. I think it's in my nature uh, sometimes, but when it comes down to it, ultimately, I will not shut out many, if any, opinion. Okay, so um, feedback is always welcome. At Fanboy Carp, in case you didn't know where to follow me on Twitter, at Fanboy Carp. Would love to have a conversation with you, and God knows there's been plenty of conversation to be had. All right, there are a few other things in the notes that I was going to cover today for time. Eh, you know, it'd either be redundant or it would be something that is evergreen enough where we could talk about it down the road. But if you would like to help out the podcast, again, rate or review us on Apple Podcasts and maybe Spotify has that feature, maybe Stitcher. But I know for sure if you're an Apple Podcast listener, ratings and reviews help us out, help us move up the charts, as they say. And we're doing okay with that. Thanks to you for helping us out during this period where there's not a lot of live sports and you all are tuning in. I really do appreciate that. For DPDO, online at dpdo.com for all the best deals and prices, dpdo.com. For 4th and Kirby, online at 4th and Kirby.com. Use coupon code 200 level for 10% off your order at 4th and Kirby.com. And State Farm agent Brian Hansen, Brian is my guy.com. Trevor's favorite domain name. It is a good domain name. I got to say, Brian is my guy.com. A lot I inquire. And the Champagne Showers Podcast Network partners in the relaunch, are we still calling it that, of the 200 level. Thank you all for listening. Stay healthy, stay safe, all that good stuff. We'll see you later this week. I'm guessing in the next 72 hours, plenty of things will happen. They always seem to, at least in this year. But until next time, we'll uh, see you soon. Take care. It is the 200 level. 